and welcome to Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. If you enjoy the podcast today, please follow me at my website, NARC Troopers. It's www.narctroopers.com, where you will find a lot of podcasts, you will find a lot of articles to read, and you will find a video blog and a merchandise store where you can purchase um, different things, different items. Um, If you like this podcast, please forward this to someone that you think it will help. Um, Today, trigger alert, because the topic is something rather disturbing. Uh, After abuse in a relationship with a person with a cluster B personality disorder, that would be narcissism, being a sociopath or a psychopath, um, part of the dark triad, any antisocial personality disorder type thing. When you have been in, a, in an abusive relationship with them and it ends, usually abruptly, either through you escaping, if you're smart, or like me and so many others, uh, being so trauma bonded we can't get away and we sit around waiting to be discarded. When you're going through this, um, there are no words to describe it, right? You can't explain that to people who haven't experienced it because they're either not going to believe you or he's already laid the foundations for his departure by turning everyone against you and making you think that you're, that they, he makes you think that, uh, you're crazy. He makes everyone else think you're crazy. There's that blame shifting and, cognitive dissonance and all these things going on. But, but it is a horribly dangerous and uh, difficult time, dangerous and difficult. And we're going to talk about self-mutilation following traumatic abuse. And we're going to talk about both literal and metaphorically self-mutilating. So here we go. In the weeks before he so brutally discarded me in June of 2019, he would stare at me with a slight grin. Often I misread this and did not recognize it for what it was. He gave no hint or clue that he had already planned his exit. I had no idea. He just smirked and had this lifeless, um, grin, sort of, that, that um, well, it was unnerving. Uh, he touched me um, with tenderness and intimacy, yet at the same time, he would grab the two wiggly jiggly parts of my body. Uh, he would hold on to these and just kind of shake them and like quivering jello or something. And after 15 years of marriage and being handled by him in every way imaginable on thousands of different occasions, I tried to be dismissive and thought, okay, you know, this person um, has, has rights, claim to um, body, mind, and soul. So, you know, if he wants to jiggle these parts, then... Okay, I don't like it, but uh, there could be worse things happen, right? That's what I told myself. I would 
protest. And I would say, you know, if you're going to grab something, try not to go for the worst places on my body. You know, it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel unattractive, ugly. He would continue to poke at the flabby part of my arm or cup his whole hand over the other jiggly part. And I would make a face and grimace or something and and then just tolerate it, even though it seemed silly and it seemed like there was definitely a streak of sadism involved. He would say, I'm your husband. It's okay. You don't have to hide anything from me. There are no secrets. He repeated those words hundreds, if not thousands of times over all those years. And with those few words, I would feel a little less humiliated or ashamed, a little less self-conscious, conscious. and, uh, you know, he was my husband after all. And I could be myself and be at ease. And although there was um, this sort of mean-spirited boundary violation, I wasn't protecting any boundary. I had my own issues with my attachment style and my fear of abandonment and my addiction and trauma bonding to him so that there were no boundaries anyway. He was violating them right and left. This was just one more manifestation of that. But, you know, he was there year after year being the nice guy. And by the way, I have a coming article coming up about that how psychopaths and narcissists and people like this will weaponize the whole polite, gentlemanly, uh, good guy thing. Like, you know, I'm a white hat, the, the good guy, the one that swoops in knight in shining armor style, when they leverage it and weaponize it to use against you. We'll talk about that in a coming article, in a coming podcast. Look for that. But anyway, I just thought, okay, well, he's, you know, we've been married such a long time. I'm just going to let him do some weird things. He's a weird guy. Um, It's okay. But, you know, I thought everything was fine. And then, you know, it wasn't. Without any warning, he abandoned me. He demolished me. Wrecking ball. The whole thing. It's a Miley Cyrus reference. Sorry. So in this loop of memories that flooded my mind after his sudden departure, it just kept going like an endless reel of torment. It was terrible. This grin that suddenly it it became clear to me that this wasn't a sweet little dimply, I'm a cutie patootie. This grin was something with evil intent behind it. He was playing a perverse game of cat and mouse. He he had this smug knowing that he was soon going to destroy me and break me and just burn me to ashes. He knew that. And so he was playing with that idea and just savoring it, enjoying it. Maybe it was payback for every limit I tried to set. Talked about the boundaries just now. Every time I tried to put one up, Maybe that was why he felt he had a right to punish me. I wasn't allowed to do that. For every moral construct that I tried to remind him of, when I would say, that's a bad thing, this isn't a good thing, this is wrong, this is not what good people do. Maybe he considered that an attack or a criticism. A narcissist, psychopath, they're just not going to have that. You just don't get to 
criticize them and say those things to them. So he knew he was preparing to execute me, but he said nothing, right? I mean, a normal person would have approached uh, their partner if there were a problem and say, hey, I'm not happy, or hey, we have a problem, or hey, I want to talk about what I'm feeling. Nothing, no clue. Everything's hunky-dory. Hunky-dory, I like that. Peachy keen. Everything's just peachy keen. That's another one that means like everything's cool, you know, it's all good. But it wasn't. It was just an act. And he was plotting this evil stuff and sort of enjoying it. Um, so anyway, his his plan was just to do this. And he just had this boyish, cute, little sweet grin, a smirk about him that if you didn't look a little deeper, you would just take it at face value. But soon he was going to hit that erase button and I would just no longer exist for him. Um, it was the demented smile of a murderer when he knows that you can't escape and he can take his time with you in the most depraved and savage ways imaginable and that you're just helpless and stupid and trusting and weak and at his mercy. He wielded that same kind of power um, and he was sharpening his knives and preparing to kill me. That's exactly what he was doing, sharpening the knives. Now, I didn't understand things that I understand now. And now I know why people cut or burn or harm themselves in other ways. The pain is a small distraction from the enormous pain that is chewing and gnawing and eating its way through your intestines, your rib cage, your lungs, and ultimately just takes over your whole body and, and, and devours your heart. Um, it's a reminder that you can still feel something. It brings you back to reality for a moment and grounds you there. The pain of hurting yourself. It's like validation that you're still alive. So boy, do I understand that now. So knowing that the humiliation was this subtle, that, that he did towards me was a subtle manipul manipulation in this devaluing cycle of abuse leading up to the abrupt and ruthless discard, one would hope that, that emotional thinking, that's a thing I'm guilty of, emotional thinking, it's something really hard to control, that it could be set aside. One would hope it could be, and that clear logic would prevail. But unfortunately, that is not how it works when you're in a relationship with these guys. After I was jettisoned, thrust out from my role as wife, mother, mentor, sacrificial lamb, primary source of fuel and supply. I did not, um, I, well, I did what any panic-stricken, degraded, in shock, broken-hearted woman would do. I desperately sought to remove the source of humiliation or any trace of that shame. In this case, it meant removing the places he had used to taunt me and demean me and devalue me. So what do I do? This is crazy. What I'm getting ready to tell you is kind of crazy. I know it's crazy. 
but your your emotional thinking hijacks everything, just hijacks it. I grab my care credit card, I picked up the phone, and I call my aesthetics guy. Aesthetics dealing with the beauty guy, the one, you know, with the scalpel and all the sutures and stuff, that guy. Um, emotionally wrecked, clearly unstable, and reeling from the sudden abandonment, I plopped up on the table and pointed to all the places that were imperfect targets of my torture, and I told my doctor what pieces of me just had to go. And he proceeded to caution me about the severity of scarring on the arms, you know, on the dangly bat wing, whatever. But I didn't, I didn't even blink. I was like, I don't care if I have scars. You have no idea what kind of scars we're talking about here internally. Um, yeah, I'm whatever. The prognosis for the other part, you know, was more optimistic, but either way, I felt like it had to be done. I had to cut him out of my psyche, of my dreams, out of my addicted, addled brain. And even I had to cut him out of my physical body. The toxic bond had to be severed. The tattered, battered parts of me that he used as a practice range with with his AR-15 to punish me and teach me and degrade me had to be removed by any means available. I signed the consent form and I set the date. So this is a cautionary tale. I'm telling you something you should probably try to avoid doing. So listen up. This is how it went. There was something horribly disturbing about the idea of anyone choosing to have handfuls of saggy baggy flesh cut from their body and thrown in the trash, right? That's that's messed up. Possessing my penchant for metaphors, I thought of it as cutting away of reminders that were leveraged against me in his cruel and sadistic campaign against me. He communicated his contempt with his touch. Every time he said, he would reach over and grab it and he didn't say anything, but what it really said, the message was, this silly dangly stuff is disgusting and I deserve a partner with tight, useful, youthful arms. And then he would grab something else and say, Hey, how fun it is to play with this fatty glob. And I deserve a girl with smooth, firm skin. This is gross. He never said those things. He was Mr. Polite, nice, you know, never raised his voice, yelled at me or anything like that. But with his gestures, with his subtle, passive-aggressive, covert, um, sneaky, insidious things that he did, the message was screaming at me. It was punched me in the face with its power, what he was telling me with what he was doing there, with what he was doing. And over and over, day after day, this message was clear. I had to get it off of me. This sign of inferiority, this mark of the beast, um, you know, I had to get rid of it. At least I thought. So on a cognitive level, I knew I was I knew I was an amazing combo of intelligence, ability, creativity, pretty good looks. I'm attractive. I'm kind. I have passion. 
I'm, I can persevere and I'm just have basic human decency. I always put him first. I always forgave his transition transgressions against me. I always was faithful and loyal and devoted, never cheated, never even thought about cheating. But there I was little miss whole package with a bag of chips and a snicker bar on the side. You know, the whole enchilada there. I was doing something like this. It wasn't like I felt um, that I wasn't all those things. I knew I was all those things. I'm smart. I'm pretty. I'm blah, blah, blah. But, but because of what he did, there I was naked on an operating table with an IV jabbed into the top of my hand, preparing to get carved up like a Thanksgiving turkey. Yes, it's insane, right? My logical mind mourned the part of me that felt like I had no choice but to mutilate myself. I didn't have to cut or burn or slice or dice myself. I had found a trained surgeon at an esteemed facility to expertly build a new improved Frankenstein version of me. The scars would be proof of my pain, evidence of my madness, of all of it, the end of my bond to him. How utterly pathetic is that? But I had accepted the exquisite tragedy of it all. The sedative began to flow, and part of me even prayed, I hope I don't even wake up. You know, maybe it'd be better if I just didn't even wake up at all. You know, just keep sleeping. No more pain, no more suffering, no more anguish. That was just six months ago, guys. The scars are truly hideous atrocities in in their own right. Um, I don't wear short sleeves. If I do, I cover it with these things on my arms. It's I tell myself, you know, someday maybe I'm going to get tattoos like all over where these scars are because they're hideous scars. Go online and look at the scars that happen when you get the whole arm thing. You know, it's bad. So I'm going to have to maybe put tattoos around them or decorate them now. Or I don't know, wear wear gloves that come up to my shoulders. It's just, you know, they hurt. My nerves had some damage and they're pinched and they poke. And something feels like something sharp and hot pieces of, 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 of like... Something is piercing and impaling me. I'm just ashamed to lift my arms and show the savagery that I acted upon myself. I dream that he is marked in a similar way. I want him to show the scars like me that I have, to be ugly like me, to be disfigured and ruined like me. It's just an outward sign to the world, you know, Something awful has happened to this woman. And and if he was marked in a similar way, that would be an outward sign to the world. Hey, this one, he's dangerous and deadly. He may look like he's just a little sweetheart, but he is dangerous and deadly. One of my favorite movie scenes is from Point Break. Don't judge me, okay? Yeah, point break. And you know when Keanu Reeves jumps out of the plane with no parachute? I totally get that. I would have done the same thing. Sometimes you just lose everything in order to get the one thing that you just can't live without. You just lose your fear. 
your integrity, your pride, your control, your self-respect, your mind. You lose your mind. And you just say, fuck it. And then you just jump. And there are there's things worse than death. Believe that. Believe that, everybody. I survived the surgery. Yeah, I survived. Um, and it's been almost a year now since this personality disordered narcissist ruined my life. Well, actually, he was ruining it probably for 16 years. But until I finally got the memo a year ago, he was all too happy to just dance out the door and to destroy me without even a moment's hesitation. Um, and every time I dream about him, which is regularly or miss him, I touch those scars. I touch them and I remember what he did to me. He almost killed me. Almost. The world at large does not understand a lot of the things that it needs to understand. Like right now with the whole COVID thing, they don't seem to understand that to protect others, you need to make efforts to do that and not minimize the danger. That's just one example. Um, But we also need to know that kindness is necessary and forever love is not some unattainable fantasy. It's a, it is real, you know, forever love. The narcissist doesn't get that. You know, it needs to know, the world needs to know that sometimes when people are coming out of these toxic relationships, they do some crazy shit. They reach out for help. They don't need a solution or a pill to sedate their pain. They just need people. They need support. They need someone who cares enough to listen and to be that tether that's going to keep them alive. Sometimes people are so wounded and so injured that they do self-destructive, irrational, crazy things because they are just trying to survive and stay alive and they have no clue how to do it. They don't have any real hope that they can do it and they're just trying to get through one day or one hour or the next minute. I'm glad I went under the knife sometimes, but mostly probably not. Um, Yeah, probably not. Maybe 10%. Sure. When I wear long sleeves, I look really awesome, but that's not why I did it. It wasn't vanity. It was him. It was him. Uh, The pain of recovery Well, that was a nice distraction from the other pain. And the scars are a scary souvenir of a time when I was at war on the battlefield with him. They are a reminder that giving yourself to the wrong person can be deadly. I forgive myself for everything that I did just to keep living. No apologies here. It wasn't my fault. I was handling it the best way I knew how. The best way that I could. I am respectful and kind and parts of me that that died when he killed me. Well, I wrap those people, those pieces. I wrap those pieces carefully. I murmur tiny little prayers and then I bury them besides beside all my other dreams that died with him. Cuz there's there's I tell you this, there's not going to be any more cutting. And there's not going to be any more 3 a.m. calls to crisis hotline either. 
And there's not going to be any more shaking and trembling and panic attacks that steal all hope and that life is ever going to contain joy again. I do see progress. I'm past those things. I see healing, the healing of scars, both on my arms and inside of me. Will they ever, is this ever just going to end at some point and go away like it didn't happen? Of course not. These scars, these things, they're going to remain red and tender and angry forever to some degree. They will fade, but they're still going to be there. They are part of me now. And I must figure out how to live with them and beside them. I'm just waiting to slowly come back to life. And right now, more than anything, I want to feel enough passion for something again, for anything that would compel me to just say, fuck it and jump. You know, that's the stuff that makes life worth living. So yeah, there's progress. There's light at the end of this tunnel, guys. Do not give up. Do not surrender. And you know, I I had a hookup deal on the price on this. My first husband was a, a physician and, you know, I know people and I get deals. And if I had had to pay full price, I probably could, it would have been cost prohibitive for what I did with the arm thing. A lot of you can't do it. And thank God you can't, you know, yeah, it serves a purpose. I get to touch those scars as a reminder of what he did to me. He cut me. He mutilated me. He might as well have taken the knife and did all this artwork on my body. At least it would have been something visible people can see to prove that what he did was he murdered me. He tried to kill me. He cut me up, sliced me and diced me and tore me to shreds. He did it. He's holding the knife. The blood is on his hands. And what I had to go through to come to that realization People shouldn't have to do that. I'm a slow learner. I'm, I'm weak in many ways. Yes, I have the resolve that I want to get well and survive, but I have succumbed some, some, to some, quite a few dumbass things that I have done that sounded good in, like in the last year that I've been trying to get past this. I think we all are going to make mistakes on this journey to recovery. We're all going to do stupid things, unnecessary things, crazy things and pathetic things that make people just shake their head and say, wow, that is messed up. But it's part of like us trying to find our way forward. We're in the dark. We're, we're blinded. We are suffering. We are bleeding out. Yeah. We need to find that passion. That's going to wake us up and bring us back to life. We need to find the hope that tells us that that's coming. Because, you know, without that passion and without that hope, without that, without that, I'm just like him, empty. And I don't think any of us want that, right? To lead a life like that, like the ones that the narcissists and the psychopaths live. It may look all fancy and wonderful and glittery and sparkly, like they're getting everything they want and they are living the life. They're not even alive. They're not even human. They're broken. They're not functioning like a real person with real feelings, and we have that. So come on, everybody. Let's just get up, get on, forgive ourselves for doing some really crazy messed up stuff, 
and keep moving forward. And if we fall down again and do something else stupid, okay, get up, keep going. You have no choice. I have no choice. I have to get up and keep going. I want to get well. I want to be recovered. I want to get rid of my addicted brain and the chemicals and the neurobiological trauma bonded, you know, Stockholm syndrome kind of crap that I'm going through. I want to get to the other side and be well. And you know what? I I believe that I can do it. And I believe you can do it. And I believe we can all be healed and recovered from this nightmare. We just have to keep moving and be strong and forgive ourselves and be kind to ourselves and love ourselves. Okay, guys, that was rough, right? That was a rough share, but you needed to hear it. I wanted to share it because you need to hear it. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay away from people. Stay alive. Much love. Bye-bye. 